Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to keep and protect us. Lord, for the COVID that's going around our town, that you will cover people and make their healing quick and protect those that don't have it. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. First Chronicles chapter 13, we're going to look at the first attempt to bring the, te- the Ark of the Covenant to the temple. So starting at verse 1. <clears throat> And David consulted with the captains of a thousand and hundreds and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad to our brethren everywhere that are left in the land of Israel, and with them also the priests and the Levites, which are in their cities and suburbs, and they, that, that they may gather themselves unto us. And let us bring again the ark of God to us, for we inquired not of it in the days of Saul. And all the congregation said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So I want to stop here for just a moment. David has consolidated his power. He's been made king of all of Israel. And he now decides that he wants to do something for God. And this has been David's heart. He wants to always serve God in, in a great way. And so we look at here and it says, David consulted. He, he was somebody who deliberated with his leaders and the leaders of the people. And basically, he said, basically he's going to tell them he wants to bring the ark of, of God to Jerusalem. Right now, the ark has been sitting uh, where it was dropped off when the Philistines brought it back after having conquered it, having captured it during the time of uh, Eli and it stayed in that same place when it was brought back <laughs> and was never moved so and David says we need it more central because right now it's sitting real close to the Philistine territory where the where the cows and the cart dropped it off and nobody has brought it back to where it needs to be I have a feeling they took the tabernacle and moved it to where the ark Ark of the Covenant was, but there's no indication to that. So it's been sitting where it's not supposed to sit, out in the open, maybe had, maybe put into somebody's barn or something. We don't know what exactly it's done, but it has not been placed where God said it was to be placed. And David told the congregation, he goes, let's all get together. And he's bringing, I mean, he wants everybody. He wants he wants to do what the people are supposed to do three times a year anyway. All the men come to where the ark is. Now, there's no indication that this is happening during one of the feast days. But he's basically saying, everybody get down here. Everybody get down here. We're going to honor God. And then he goes, and by the way, we want you priests and Levites to get down here. Huh? What were Levites? Levites are the tribe of Levi. And so is Aaron, the priests are are the sons of Aaron, who is a Levite, but not all Levites are priests. You have to be a son of Aaron to be a priest. The Levites are the spiritual leaders of of Israel. Uh, The priests give the sacrifices and everything, and the Levites in their towns would would teach, they they would help guide people. Now the problem with this is, all during the time of Saul... The Levites have not been coming to serve at the tabernacle or at the Ark of the, Co- uh, Ark of the Covenant. They have just been sitting around their towns teaching. So they're, right now they're kind of outside 
of their responsibilities. They're doing part of their responsibility, but not doing their whole responsibility. And David says, I want everybody to come because we are going to celebrate the ark being returned to its place. We're going to start honoring God. We're going to make our sacrifices. We're going to inquire of him. We're going to do everything that we're supposed to do. So this is going to be a big event. That's what David is anticipating. We're doing a big event, and it's going to be focused on God. So he calls all the people. When Just from what we read, you know, that's hundreds of thousands of fighting men, plus all the older and younger men. That, so we're talking probably maybe close to a million men that he's calling to this event. That's a pretty good-sized crowd. And all of David's hope is this is going to be focused on God. And we're going to do things God's way. And he, so he brings everybody out and he says, Let us bring the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not of it in all the days of Saul. Which means for 48 years, people have not been inquiring of God from the priest. They have been doing their own thing. And this has been the problem. This is why Saul has fall, fallen away from what's going on. What's the matter? So is the Ark of the Covenant, uh, was that in, uh, was that in um, Moses' During Moses' reign, they built the Ark of the Covenant under God's direction. The Ark of the Covenant is to be in the Holy of Holies place. It is covered by the mercy seat, which has the cherub that's wings touch in the center. And then when they give the yearly sacrifice, that sac the blood is put on the mercy seat. Inside the Ark of the Covenant has three items in it, or used to. <laughs> A pot of manna, the Ten Commandments, and the rod of Aaron that budded when everybody asked about his, whether he's, you know, who he was and why why he thought he was special, more special than everybody. So those three things were and probably still are in the Ark of the Covenant, which is covered by the mercy seat. And this went out to battle and was returned. If you remember the story, it went out to battle in, uh, let's see, did I write it down, the verse? In uh, First Samuel, the first part of First Samuel, and Eli's son's, who were wicked and were going to be judged, decided we're going to go beat the Philistines and we're going to take God's, the Ark of the Covenant with us because if it goes with us, God's with us and we can't be beat. They were, they were slain and the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant. And if you remember, they put it in all kinds of different cities and every city they went into, people got sick and died. And so finally they go, okay, we've had, I think it was seven cities, the seven major cities of the Philistines were plagued and they go, we need to get this thing back to Israel. You know, they thought they had won this battle. They thought they had beat Israel's God, and Israel's God plagues all their cities. So they put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart with two, two mother cows that had just given birth and left their calves behind them because they wanted to make sure that if this went to Israel, it was a miracle because the mother cows should have just turned around and went right back to their calves, and they went to Israel leaving their calves behind, mooing and, and lowing, it said. So it was a miracle of God that it went and went into Israel. 
they set it aside and they left it there. They didn't take it back to where it belongs. So lots of, lots of, lots of things happened there. So that is where we are with this ark. You know, David's looking around and saying the ark does not belong there. And he's thinking one thing, it's, it's near the Philistine border and it's on the southern side of the country. He's thinking if he brings it to Jerusalem, Jerusalem's fairly central. And this way it's close to everybody. And that's, I think that's what his thinking was. We're going to get this, plus I think he wanted to be near God's presence. Because they believed that God's presence was at the Ark of the Covenant. All right? Uh, because it, was, it became a tal talisman. If, you, if we have the Ark, we have victory. And that was what Eli's sons thought when they took it into battle. If we take God's presence with us, we cannot be defeated. And they were defeated because of their sin. And David says, let's, let's get everybody to get together. And, they, and it says in verse 4, And all the congregation said that they would do so, that the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. Now, one thing I am seeing that is lacking here, that David has been going to priests all along, but nowhere in this verses does it say that David asked whether God wanted the ark to be brought to Jerusalem. He's counseled with his, leader, his military leaders. He's counseled with the elders. He's talked to the people and said, if you think it's good, and what does it say? It was right in the eyes of all the people. I have learned to be very careful when everybody's agreeing that something's right, it's quite often not the thing to do. Now, I'm not saying it was wrong for them to bring the ark to God, of God to Jerusalem, but I do see there's no mention of David going before the Lord and saying, God, do we, should we bring this? David has gone to the, to the Lord when he's gone into battle and all these other things. He's prayed... But this is something that it seems like he says, I think it would be a good idea to move the Ark of the Covenant to, to Jerusalem. People, you like this idea? Good, let's do it. And he left God out of the picture. We are always in trouble when we leave God out of the picture. Because when we do things the way we think they're supposed to be done, usually because of our sin nature, it is not what's going to be done. What was the accusation before the flood? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. What is the accusation for the last days before Jesus returns in the truth? Everybody's going to be doing what is good in their own eyes. And if you look at your own life, the times that I have done things that I thought were good without consulting God, I usually messed up and found out it really wasn't that good an idea. And maybe it wasn't even a bad idea. One of the things Satan likes to do with Christians is to get us to accept good rather than the best. And this is something that we have to be very careful of. It is real easy to decide to do the good thing instead of a bad thing. Fairly easy if you just put God in the center of it. But how about when the decision is between good and good? How do you make that decision? You know, we could say, okay, I'm going to make a pro-con list. One might have more good than, than bad. Not the way to do it. God says, come before him. Put him first. And we need to be careful because Satan will put all kinds of good in front of us. Sometimes he'll get, get us busy doing lots of good and not doing the best. So we do four or five things. We do them all poorly because it's not what God wanted us to do. He's not strengthening us. We're doing it in our own strength. And God says, that's not what I wanted you to do. This is what I wanted you to do. When we finally get knocked down enough and we say, God, I am just so tired. 
I am tired of doing all these things. And God says, well, of course you are. You're doing it in your own strength. And this is something we have to be careful of. This is why I keep telling people, I don't want people to fill jobs just because they need to be done. I want them to feel that they are called to do it. Because if you're called to do it, it's not, it's not hard. I'm not going to say it's perfect and, and totally easy, but it's not hard. When you're doing things just because they need to be done, that's when you get a little grumpy. Why isn't somebody else doing this? I'm, I stepped into this and nobody else is doing it. Nobody's stepping out and I'm doing this and I'm not happy doing this. And the problem is because you're doing it, the person who was supposed to be doing it doesn't think it needs to be done. So we want to be careful. If God has not called you to do something, don't do it. It's one of the hardest words for people to say, and especially Christians, is no. No, I'm not going to do that. Well, this needs to be done. Well, I understand that, but I'm not the one that, I don't think I'm the one that God's asking to do. And we want to be very careful that we're not trying to do something somebody else is supposed to be doing. Because it stops them, the person from that's called to do it, and we get frustrated. And Satan usually wins in the long run because then we get frustrated and we stop doing everything because we are frustrated and angry and upset. And it's like, well, I don't know why nobody else was doing any of this stuff, and I'm tired of doing this, so I'm just going to stop. And usually it doesn't stop with the thing you're upset about. It, it ends up being everything that people get burned out. And oftentimes they continue not just stopping, but walk right out the back door of the church and say, I'm tired of God. He didn't meet my needs. He didn't give me anything. And they just walk right out because they got burned out. At the very least, they just sit in the church, don't do anything anymore. And either one is a bad situation to be in. And so David gathered everybody, and it says in verse 5, So David gathered all Israel together from Sihor of Egypt unto the entering of Hemath to bring the ark of God from Kirjah-Jararim. And David went up and all Israel to Baalah, that is Kirjah-Jararim, which would belong to Judah, to bring up thence the ark of the Lord, and that dwelled between the cherubim whose name is called on it. And they carried the ark of the Lord of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart, and David and all Israel played before God with all their might, and with singing and harps and psalteries and timbrels and cymbals and trumpets. All right. David gathers everybody. He goes all the way to the borders of Egypt, which is the Sihor River. There's a river channel that's down by, by Egypt off the Nile that belonged down, that they had to, to, all the way up to the northern part of Syria. And at this time, that belonged to David as well. And he says they want all the people everywhere to come to this event. Now, the interesting thing, this is not just an invitation. When the king says show up, it's not a RSVP event. It is more like this is an order. David's saying, I want all of Israel to come to this event. And it says they all come and they end up at Kirjah or Jerarim, which is approximately 13, uh, 30 miles away from Jerusalem. It's, it's a little ways away. It's, it's got some distance. And it's where the, Israel, where the Philistines left, where they sent it, and the people left the ark in, in 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 21. 
So this place is where the ark has been sitting for a long time, at least 48 years. Because David has been reigning eight years in, in Hebron, Saul reigned for 40 years, and Eli died back right, right at the end of that. And we don't know how long Samuel reigned exactly. So we've got a long period of time that this ark has sat there in, where, in this city. And David says, it is time for it to come and be the center of our worship again. Okay? Remember, Israel has always had problems with worshiping God correctly and doing what they are supposed to be doing. Even in Moses' day, when they wandered in the wilderness, the first thing that happened when they crossed over the Jordan River was that Joshua had all the men get circumcised. Which means even in the days of Moses, they were not being circumcised for 40 years. Now, I'm sure some people got circumcised during that period of time. But it's very strange that the first thing you did when you, you got into the enemy territory is you disabled your fighting men. You had them circumcised so they couldn't move for a couple days. Not the, not the smartest military move, but it was a righteous move. God says, I want the people to do what they were supposed to do. And circumcision had gone all the way back to Abraham. It was God's statement of this is my agreement with my people, Israel. It is a sign that you are my people. The circumcision and the Sabbath day were both the signs that they were God's people. And so here we see them looking to say it's time to bring the worship of God more central. Because right now, you can picture, if you're living up in Dan, which is up in the most northern reaches, and you're going, well, it's time to worship God, but I really don't feel like taking a two-week trip just to go worship God. Because it was way down on the southwest portion of Israel. And so you're going to have a lot of people making excuses. It's amazing to me how many people make excuses to, about serving God. And it is easy to make, make excuses. I just don't feel good. My, I was too busy this week. I was too busy today. Uh, you know, my family has got plans. Uh, you know, we're, we're going on vacation next, next, in two weeks. We've got to make sure we have plenty of time to plan it. You know, whatever the excuses may be, it's too hot, it's too cold, it's too wet, it's too dry. You know, we have all kinds of excuses as to why we can't serve God. And people were doing that in Israel. And the king wasn't honoring God either. So, as a matter of fact, Saul was mad at God. Remember, Saul knew that, that David was going to have the kingdom and he was mad at God. He really didn't want to have anything to do with God. So he's going to have all these problems. He doesn't like God. He doesn't want to be with God. He doesn't want to, to see God uh, because David is going to be king. David, and it's Saul's fault. He did not, ki he did not kill all the, all the Amalekites. He did not kill, kill, kill the king he was told to kill. So it's his fault, but he blames God. How many times do people blame God for things that they do? Now, and you'll hear it all the time. People will always say, you know, especially non-saved non people, why did God let all this trouble hit me? I really think it's funny when an agnostic or an atheist says, why did God let all this stuff happen to me? I thought you didn't believe in God. Well, I don't, but... <laughs> and Saul is pulled away from God, and because the king is not following God... The people aren't following God. And 
they're not looking at it. So David decides he's going to bring everybody together. And what do they do? They put the Ark of the God on a cart. Now, this may or may not mean anything to you, but in Deuteronomy 31.9, we're told that the Ark was to be carried on the shoulders of the Levites, specifically the Korahites. Were the one with the family of Levite that were to carry the ark and the altar and the showbread altar the showbread and the altar of incense. They carried all of the religious items and they were carried on their shoulders. This is what Numbers chapter seven verse nine tells us. The people gave a bunch of carts and cattle and stuff to the to to the use of God in the in the temple. And the Kohites were given no carts and no, no cattle to carry things because they were to carry them on their shoulders. The people who had to carry the tents, they got like three carts because those, carts are, those tents are bulky and heavy and hard to carry. Those who had to carry the, the, what we would call plywood, they got a cart or two to be able to stack those, car, stack those things in and carry them. But the Kohites were given no carts, no cattle, because they were to carry the Ark of the Covenant. They were to carry the altar of showbread and the table of incense and the, and the menorah and all of that was to be carried. And all of those things, if you remember back in Exodus, Leviticus, and, and Numbers and Deuteronomy, all of those things had places where poles could be stuck in them. And what would happen is that the Le- the Aaron and his children would come in, and, and, and this is described in Numbers 4, Aaron and the priest would come in. They would put the coverings on everything so nobody would see it. Nobody would be able to touch it. They'd wrap it all up. They'd put the poles in. And then the Kohites were to come in and carry these things. I do not know if David was ignorant of the way that it was to be carried. He's called all the priests and the Levites. At least they should have known how it was to be, how it was to be done. And yet they put it on a cart. Probably thinking, well, we're going... 30, 40 miles in town, and we're going to go uphill. We're going to do this the easy way, not the way God said to do it. We are always in trouble when we try to do things the easy way and not the way God says to do it. And here is the process being set up for a major issue. This is a celebration. They're bringing God's God's ark. They're doing a good thing. They're bringing the ark of God home. Now, it hasn't been where it belongs for a long time. But then we look at this, and it's very interesting. And David and all Israel played, and this literally means to dance and sing and laugh. There is no solemnness to this at all. The next time we read about it, there's going to be sacrifices. They're going to be doing singing and all this, but there are also going to be sacrifices. There's no sacrifices here. There's no... There's no sovereignty being done there. They put the ark on, on a cart, which is not the right way to do it. And then they're basically, you can almost picture a million people in riotous behavior, dancing and singing and shouting and playing cymbals and trumpets. And, you know, I almost picture a wild party here. And I wouldn't. It doesn't say that it happened, but I would not rule out drinking involved with this when you get that many people in that large group. So this is all a big party. And I can almost picture God looking down and saying, okay, this is not what I want for my, my ark being brought back. He goes, maybe I wanted it brought back, but not this way. 
And so we have a big, huge party going on. And I don't think people were in the right frame of mind. They're not doing things right. They're not doing it godly. They have not, there's been no pushing forward of asking God how he wants it done, what he wants done. Uh, either the priests were not in, involved in this or it's been so long since they've been having to move it that they forgot how to do it, which is quite possible that their church and their teachings had gotten liberalized and no longer biblical. This is a problem that we're having in the church in America. There are so many churches that don't teach the word of God anymore. And they will be able to make and say whatever they want and agree with the world. Well, you know, that sounds really good to us. And, you know, well, God, I think you're, you, you're the God of love. You'll, you'll, you'll like us loving one another and not talking about sin. You'll, you'll like it that we say that all people go to heaven no matter what. And we need to be careful about this. This is what has happened here at this point. They have forgotten how to do things. And there is no sacrifice made when it's coming. There, remember that what happened in the wandering in the wilderness, nothing moved until God said to move. You know, when the, cloud, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire moved, the people moved. When it stood still, they stood still. There's been no talking to God and saying, God, do you want this to come to Jerusalem? Do you want it to stay where it's at? How do you want it moved if you do want it moved? Everybody is doing what they think is right. And we're going to see a big problem. And all this time, God is being patient with his people. He's going, you haven't talked to me. You haven't considered me. You haven't gone to my word. You're having a great party out of this. And I don't think this party was centered on God. It was centered on the ark. And you will go, well, God is, on, God is in the ark. No, it wasn't centered on the God of the ark. It was centered on the ark. And this is something that is very dangerous, even for us Christians. You know, you all know I'm a great advocate for making sure we read our Bible every day. If, but if you make the, your whole relationship with God reading the Bible every day and it becomes a legal, legal activity for you, it's not what I'm wanting. You know, I'm a big advocate of coming to church and listening to the Bible studies. But if you're looking at that and saying, well, this is how I come, this is how I meet God. I come to Bible study. Not to meet God, but just to hear the, just to hear the Bible study, just to show up. Then we're doing just what they're doing. They're centered on the wrong thing. They're going for the wrong reason. And so we look at this. There's this big dancing and party and, and everything's going on. And verse 9. And when they were come to the threshing floor of Childun, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because he put his hand on the ark, and there he died before the Lord. Now there are a lot of people that read this story and say God was terrible and awful. How could he have done something like this? We believe, it's not absolutely sure, but most people believe that Uzzah was a Levite. He should have known better on how to transfer it. We can't prove that because we don't find it listed as a, in, in the, in the uh, genealogies. But we have them doing the right thing the wrong way. The cattle stumble. Now I don't know, I don't know how both oxen would stumble so bad that it would upset the cart. This is a pretty big stumble. 
I believe that this would have been a satanic attack on them to knock, you know, knock down the cows for this to be, this to be happening. Right? It's not talking about them going crazy and, and taking turns and just the cow stumbled. The cart hit a bump or something as well and the ark shifts position. Uzzah instinctively reaches up to steady the ark and he is instantly struck dead. It's almost like the last straw for God. God's saying, I have not been part of this. You are not doing things the right way. And now you've got people touching my ark that they're not supposed to touch. And he struck as a dead. And this is a really hard thing. Like I say, there are lots of people that are saying, how could God have done this? Why would God have struck as a dead? He was just trying to protect the ark, which is where it wasn't supposed to be. How many times are we doing something and we're someplace we're not supposed to be and then we get mad at God when God brings judgment on us? Well, God, I don't understand why you were having a problem with me being at that drunken, drunken drug party when, when everybody was drinking and, and, and shooting up. I wasn't doing it. And God's saying, you weren't supposed to be there. You didn't ask me to be there. And now he brings judgment upon you. The place got raided and you got arrested with everybody else because you were in the wrong place. And you're going, God, I just don't understand. I wasn't doing anything. Why should I be in trouble? And this is a big deal. The ark was not to be touched. It was not to be up on that cart where it could be in danger of falling over. And Uzzah reached out and touched it. I have a sneaky feeling that Uzzah knew that it wasn't supposed to be on the cart and that nobody was supposed to touch it because that would have meant that he, could have, he would have been judged at a greater level. And God always judges those who know better. If you do something and you know that you're not supposed to be doing it, you're in more danger of being judged than if you accidentally find yourself someplace and you really didn't know that it was something that you're not supposed to do. I think Uzzah knew better. Uh, and he reached out and he touched God's ark. And... We don't know how many people in all the centuries have been, been killed. But one of the things that terrified the high priest, the high priest were to go into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant stood. They were to be in God's presence. What they did when they went in there, they would tie a rope to the high priest's leg, and there were little bells on the bottom of it. They were to keep moving the whole time. They were in the Holy Holies. If, they stopped, if the bell stopped ringing... They would wait a little while, and if they continued to stop ringing, they would pull on the rope to see if he was alive. Now, I don't know for sure, but I have seen a report that four people in all of time actually died in the presence of God. I don't know. But Uzzah probably knew better. And he reaches out, and he touches God. And he's not been sanctified. He's not been, he has not been prayed over and, and sanctified. So this is unholy individual touching the holiness of God. One of the things I have found over my lifetime is when, when I go and before God, and it hasn't happened enough, it needs to happen a lot more, but there have been times when I've entered into the presence of God and truly realized how awful I am. You know, and this is after 50 years of walking with God and having a lot of things wiped out. And still coming before God and saying, I don't have anything. I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be in God's presence and just strikes you. Doesn't happen often, 
Isaiah chapter 6 has a picture of that happening to Isaiah. Isaiah has been a prophet for a while at that point in time, and I just want to read because Isaiah is a great picture of that, that event. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim, each one with six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And one cried to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved in the, at, at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This should be our attitude when we literally come before God. When we come before the holy, righteous, perfect God in all of his glory, we get to see how terrible we really are. And this is a big deal. Everywhere in the Bible, when people just came before angels with the power and the glory and the righteousness that angels have, they would, they would hit the floor. And when they stood before God or, or the... Or the or Jesus, they would bow down and worship. It was always what happened. When people come before the righteous God, we are overwhelmed. I almost think this is going to happen to us in heaven. When we first get to heaven and we have our glorified body, I think the first time we stand before God, we're going to instantly fall to the ground. Because we are going to see holiness and righteousness that we just can't fathom. It will be so deep, so full, it will be overwhelming. And I've had just tastes of it and have been overwhelmed. In, you know, maybe probably less than 10 times in my li entire lifetime when I've been just overwhelmed by the presence of God. And this is very important that we understand. Uzzah dared to touch the Ark of the Covenant. He treated it as a common thing. For a moment, he forgot that it was the presence of God. Now remember, the people in this, at this time are thinking, that is God. God is literally sitting on that Ark of the Covenant. It is sanctified. It is holy. Nobody is supposed to touch it. And Uzzah reaches out and touches. Basically, in, in his mindset, the people's mindset, he is touching God. He is not just touching a thing. He is literally reaching out and trying to touch God. Now, he does it instinctively. I'm not, I'm not thinking that he did it with any malice or anything. It's just, this cart is tipping. I want to make sure this doesn't go over. So I'm going to grab hold of it, and I'm going to hold it in place. And he was struck dead. The very first time the tabernacle was put together, Aaron's two sons went in and did things their way in the worship of God. And if you remember what God did to them, he burnt them to a crisp. He sent fire on them and burnt them up while they were you know, worshiping God, supposedly. But they were doing it their way, not God's way. This is why it's very important for us to do things God's way. Not to go, well, I think this is the way I should be doing it. God gives us the word. He gives us his, his teaching. Any time that we are not in obedience to the word of God, we are doing things our way. 
and it may seem right. I might have made my, my pro-con list and God's way seemed stupid and my way seemed perfect, but I'm doing it my way and God's going to say, nope, not going to happen. And he'll bring discipline on. Maybe not as bad as the discipline here, but he brings discipline when we do things our way. Now, after this, he struck dead, in verse 11, and David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, wherefore the place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, how can I bring the ark of God home to me? David's response is that same response as people who criticize, you know, David's looking and saying, God, we were doing a good thing. Why would you have struck this man dead just for trying to keep the Ark of the Covenant from falling off the wagon? Uh, doesn't sound really good, does it? Falling off the cart. <laughs> uh, and David was displeased with God. He was afraid of God at that point. This is David. He's given praise to God for delivering him from a lion, allowing him to kill a bear, being able to beat Goliath and all the battles he's won. He and God are close friends. They follow each other all the time. And at this point, Uzzah struck dead and David's going, oh my, maybe I don't know God as well as I do. What is going on? At that point in time, we have a choice. We turn and do God, things God's way or we're going to do what David did. And we're going to get to that with how, what David did. But this is what I say all the time. God is going to test, do I believe what I, what I say I believe? Not for him. He knows that we do believe or don't believe. But he wants to prove to us whether we believe or don't believe because we lie to ourselves all the time. God, I know that you are love, and I know that you can help me love people. And God says, okay, good. Let me, let me bring somebody that's going to be really hard for you to love. You are not going to be able to love this person in your own strength, and I want you to love them. Uh, God, this isn't fair. I don't like this test. God, you're supposed to be love. You're supposed to give me all of this. And God says, well, you said you, you trust me. You say that you're going to count on me. Are you? This is what God does to us all the time. Do we truly trust him? Are we truly going to believe what we say we believe? And this is the hard thing. God, I'm going to give you a tithe. All right, good. Let's get to you financial problems and see if you're still going to tithe. And... Too many times people fail and don't give God the tithe. And God says, well, you, didn't, you don't believe in it, so you, you, dis, you, you, you don't believe what you said you believe. David, at this point, is having his love for God tested. He's doing things his way. He didn't go inquire with the priest. He did not inquire how to move, move the ark. He's having a party situation. There's no, no honoring of God. The next time they move it, they're going to be offering sacrifices. They're going to be praising God. The priests are going to be sanctified. They're going to carry it the way it's supposed to be. Everything is going to be done right when they do it the next time. And I think God got hold of him and said, David, you did it your way. You did it your way. And we, again, we just have to be careful. Don't do things our way. Look at what God wants and do it his way. And the problem is, I can see David, you know, I'm that type of person. I have to make sure that I'm right with God because I'm the person who's going to make sure something happens once I start it. And I'm going to make it happen. Come hell or high water, I'm going to make it happen. And if God is opposing me because I'm doing it the wrong way, 
I'm going to fight even more tenaciously against it until he gets my attention and says, uh, you're fighting me. This is what Gamaliel said to the Jews when they were trying to debate what to do with the, the new Christian sect that was going on. He says, just leave it alone. If it's of God, there's nothing we can do to stop it. If it's not of God, it will it'll phase out like all the other ones did. And they didn't listen to him. But we do the same thing. How often do we fight? I am going to make it happen. You know, God, I am sure this is a really good thing. I am going to make it happen. God, did I ask you to? Did, no, God, I, you didn't ask me, but I'm going to do it anyway. And eventually we get realizing, God, I didn't even ask you. David had never, no apparent place where David asked God for what's going on. And Uzzah dies and David fears God. He is not, this isn't the honest good fear of God. This was, he was afraid of God. God, we are doing something good for you. Why would you kill this man when we're doing something good? I don't know what to do. I'm going to freeze and not do anything. And David was angry with God. He was upset and decided that I can't bring this ark. Note that it says at this point, I, I, how shall I bring the ark of God to me? Now, I don't know if you catch this, but David's attitude toward this is not quite right. He's not bringing it to Jerusalem so that God can be worshipped and praised. He's going, I want God near me. And there's a very subtle difference in this. I'm hoping you're catching this. He, he's not saying, God, we needed you in, in Jerusalem so lots of people can worship you. He's saying, God, I wanted your presence right with me, right close to me, so that I can have you. There's almost a selfishness in that statement. God, I want you near me. And this is something that many of us fall into at times. God, as long as you and I are good, I'm enjoying my Bible reading, I'm enjoying my church, I'm enjoying my fellowship. God, you and I are okay, I'm, I'm happy. And God's saying, well, what about the fields that are white with harvest and ready for the harvest? Are you bringing them in? Are you talking to them? Are you drawing them in? No, God, you and I are okay. That's all I care about. You know, it's been described as we, we come to God and we have our fire insurance. I'm not going to hell and that's all I care about. And I hope nobody in our church care, has that attitude because God wants the world to be his. He doesn't want us just to be happy. God, I'm going to heaven. I'm happy. I'm, I'm safe. I'm happy. This is kind of what David was saying. God, I was going to bring this ark to me. God, I was bringing your presence to me. I wanted it really close for me. And there's a selfishness in this prayer. There's a selfishness in this attitude that David, I don't think, is realizing. The people aren't realizing it. David sold it to the people as, we're going to do this for God. We're going to bring God closer to the, to the capital. We can all worship him. But in David's heart of hearts, he's looking at it very selfishly. And this is where we have a problem. Again, doing the right thing the wrong way. And this is the problem that we have. And people look at this and go, how can God be so mean to Uzzah? I don't know, but God had been very patient up in this point. Nobody's been talking to him. Nobody, nobody has asked for his opinion. We have a million-person million parade of noise and, and dancing and singing and shouting and, and having joy, and nobody is focused on God. I can almost picture this party. This is a parade atmosphere. We're, we're jubilant. We've got a great big parade. I'm not quite sure why we're having this parade, but we're having a big parade. All right? 
And how many times do people get wrapped up in the activity without knowing what it is that they're wrapped up in? All right? This is how riots end up starting. A couple people gather up in a crowd, and then somebody starts doing something stupid, and then lots of other people start doing something stupid, and before long, everybody's caught up in being stupid. And I almost think this, they came down there with the right attitude. We are going to bring God to the capital city. We're going to do this. And before long, it's becoming, let's just sing and dance and play music and shout. And Oh, yeah, there's, there's that ark over there. Yeah, okay, good. You know, it's still, it's still there. And they're singing and dancing and forgetting the purpose of the gathering. Nowhere in here do we see a priest, a Levite, talking to the people. Nowhere do we see a sacrifice being made. Nowhere do we see the priest being sanctified and, and cleansed before they handle the ark. We don't see any of the things that should have happened. And I can almost see God seething, a little more angry every time. Why aren't you guys doing this the right way? Why aren't the priests offering sacrifices? Why aren't the priests taking the bath and putting on their good clothes like they're supposed to? Why are the people, you know, not focused on me? And Uzzah was the last straw. How many times have you maybe gotten upset with somebody? I remember very clearly one time I got in a fight with my best friend when I was in high school. Why? Because he said something he always said to me and it hit me wrong because I was having a terrible bad day and I hit him. And we got into a big fight and it wasn't really his fault. He was just the last little straw that fell on my back and my temper zipped off. Here I think God has been very patient. Priest, you haven't sanctified yourself. Priest, you aren't carrying the ark. You know, people, what are you doing? You're supposed to be worshiping me. Where's my sacrifices? Where are my songs to me? And again, we see all these instruments. We see them singing. But you know one thing we don't see? We don't see them singing psalms or spiritual songs. What were they singing? I'm not going to rule out that they were, but there's no mention to it. All of this activity does not seem to be focused on God. And God is sitting there like, this is supposed to be about me. This would be like having a birthday party, having somebody give you a birthday party. They make the cake and give it to somebody else to blow out the candles. They give all the presents to somebody else. And you get to sit in the corner and nobody comes to say happy birthday to you. Yeah, all of us go, well, I, I wouldn't like that kind of a party at all. This is what I see this, this party. This party's supposed to be focused on God, and nobody is focused on God. And then Uzzah reaches out and touches it, and David goes, oh my goodness, what's going on? I am afraid of God now, because who else is God going to kill at this point? And so we look in verse 13. So David brought not the ark home to himself to the city of David, but carried it aside to the house of Obadam the Gittite, and the ark remained in the family of Obadam in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obadam and all that he had. So David takes and says, I'm not bringing this, I'm not bringing this ark to, to Jerusalem. I don't even want him near me. If God's going to be killing people, I don't want to be anywhere near God. They take it to the house of Obadam, and he is a Levite, and it's going to stay there for three months. And this guy gets blessed. And I'm wondering how he gets blessed. Three months is really not that long, but 
Maybe he had a harvest that was three or four times the harvest of anybody else in the area. His, his cattle and his sheep are, are being very productive. Uh, his cows are giving lots and lots of milk. Whatever, whatever it is, he is blessed. Everything is going right for him for three months. And this is a big deal. And all because David was afraid of God. And Obed, Obed-Adam gets the blessing that David rejects. And this is the thing that God will get. If somebody rejects God's blessing, God still pours the blessing out on the person who will accept it. Obadam and his family take the ark and say, okay, fine, we'll, we'll put it in a room or tent. I don't know where they put it, but they brought it into their property, gave it the proper honor, treated it correctly, and they are blessed. They get the blessing that David wanted. David wanted the blessing of God upon himself. This is why he's bringing it upon to Jerusalem. But again, David's wanting it for himself. This is a rare place where David does not sing. He's not doing it for the nation of Israel. He's doing it for him. And again, we see that very thing. Uh, David brought not the ark to himself to the city. Everything motivated on this has been all about David. Hasn't been about God. Hasn't been anything about God. Now, I'm, I'm sure all the right words were being said. David's going, we need the ark. I want to be close to it. We want to get it a good, honorable place. But everywhere it says in here, David brought it to him, wanted to bring it to himself. Now he's afraid and he goes, I don't want to bring it to to Jerusalem to myself because I'm now afraid of this God. This God that I have loved, that I have honored, that I have prayed to, that I have followed, I am afraid of him right now. And he says, I don't want the ark in Jerusalem. And he puts it in Obed-Adam's home. And he is blessed. The blessing will fall on somebody. And this is the thing. God desires to bless us. He desires to bless people. Jesus died on the cross so that all people could accept him and go to heaven. Now, all people won't because many won't accept him. God created man so that he could walk with him in the garden. And he created woman and walked with them. Can you imagine what it would have been like to have been having God walk with you in the garden? Every evening, they got to walk with God and talk with God. Now, I'm sure there was Jesus Christ in a bodily form that they got to walk with, but they got directly talked to, walked with God, trained by God every evening until they fell. God created us to have intimate fellowship with him and the blessing that comes with intimate fellowship but it must be done on his terms. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So we have to go through Jesus and we have to take on his righteousness. Then we can be in intimate relationship with God and be able to come before him and be loved and have peace that passes understanding and be changed as the Holy Spirit lives in us and changes us from the inside out so that we can be more like God So that when we get close to him, we go, okay, it's not quite as a shock, but I'm still, God, you are still greater than I am. And this is the thing that we always want to remember. God is infinitely greater than we are. He is infinitely more holy than we are. He is infinitely more righteous than we are. He is infinite more love than we are. He is infinite more mercy than we are. 
We need to always remember God is bigger than us. And I don't care how much we get worked out of our life and how much of God we get worked into our life, God is still greater than us. And according to Isaiah, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, his ways are higher than our ways. And I believe personally that they will always be higher than our ways. Even when we get to heaven in our glorified bodies, God is still going to be greater and more holy and more righteous than we are. And what, did, what were the angels, and going, going back to Isaiah 6, what were the seraphim, the, the mighty warrior angels singing on the throne? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Who's singing this? The seraphim. They're about as righteous as you can get in heaven outside of God. And they're singing that God is holy. And, they're, and what are the, how do they fly? They cover their face and they cover their feet. They won't even look upon God because he is so much holier than them. So they're flying around, not looking at God, saying that he is holy. How are we going to feel when we stand before God? Hopefully no less. Now we get to stand before him clothed in the righteousness of Christ, but knowing that it's his righteousness that allows us to stand before him. Not my own righteousness. If it was my own righteousness, I could not stand before God. With the righteousness of Christ, I probably still will know that I don't belong here and I'll be broken. Because Isaiah 6 goes in, he says, the angel flew from the, from the altar with a coal and put it in his mouth. And it says, the coal of the altar has touched you. The altar is the, where, the, where Jesus' sacrifice was burnt. So it really represents Jesus coming in into Elijah, uh, Isaiah. And it says, and then God says, uh, who, can, who will I send? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. He had been touched by God. He had been cleansed enough to be able to talk to him, but still overcome. This is the way we are. Even though we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, God sees us as perfect. When we stand before him, we know that we don't deserve to be there. We know that it's only the righteousness of Christ that allows it. And our prayer is, God, here am I. Send me. What little I can do for you, send me. And Obededom, his house gets blessed because David refuses to go ahead and bring David at this point could have said God we've done this all wrong we're going to offer some sacrifices we're going to get the, the priest in here we're going to find out what we're supposed to be doing we're going to turn back to you at this point in time David is dangerously close to following Saul's path Saul rejected God and never turned back David is going to finally realize, okay, there's a right way to do it. And the next time he tries to bring the, the Ark of the Covenant into Israel, we're going to see a totally different, not totally, they're still going to be singing and dancing, but there's going to be sacrifices, there's going to be the, the, the consecration of the uh, priests and the Levites, and the right people are going to be carrying the Ark instead of putting it on a cart, and David's going to do it God's way, not his own way. And he's going to see the blessing of God from doing it God's way. And this is where we need to be with our life. Are we doing things God's way? All right, we're going to close here with prayer. We made it to the end of the, this chapter. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, help us to always remember to do things your way, the way it's supposed to be, and that we will avoid judgment and punishment by doing it your way. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. 
For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.